Good afternoon. It's time once again for another edition of Bill Allen's Facebook Bible Studies. Glad to have you joining in today on this very hot, hot summer day in Texas. That's where I am, wherever you are. I hope you're doing well. Hope it's not a hundred and something degrees, but that's what it is here. And uh, thankful to be inside, thankful for conditioned air, and uh, mindful of those who are not able to enjoy such blessings today. Hope that you're having a good week. I'm looking forward to the lesson today. As you know, on Tuesdays, we look at a book, a daily devotional guidebook, a classic called My Utmost for His Highest from Oswald Chambers. And we also look at a book on the Psalms from Timothy Keller on Thursdays at 3 p.m. These lessons are, of course, recorded and uh, put on my Facebook page live. And then I share them on our West Irwin Live Facebook page and West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook page. They're also added to our website, westirwin.com. That's E-R-W-I-N. That's the street that we're on, West Irwin in Tyler, Texas. Uh, but it's westirwin.com, and then you scroll over the Connect tab at the top, find the live streaming page, click, click on that, and then scroll down a bit to the View Archives, and that's where we are. You'll see a big blue box there, and if you're trying to catch our worship assemblies, our worship services live, then you'll be able to see them there at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Uh, or you can also go back on that archive part and go see some of the other um, worship assemblies and services and even some of the sermons that you'll see there uh, as well. Nice to see my cousin Gail uh, signing in and saying hello, hello to you and Keith. Hope y'all are doing well and of course my dear, dear friends Eric and Cindy Mosley. Gotta say I got to see uh, Stacy and that beautiful little Ellie this morning when they came by uh, to spend a little bit of time in our playground today and uh, so anyway, it's wonderful to have you joining in. I am really excited about this lesson because I love the uh, I love the perspective. I love the point that is made. And as you saw from the perhaps saw from the title and my little blurb that I wrote a couple of hours ago talking about what we were going to talk about at three. Um, it it is a charge from Jesus that says, um, "Do what is not your duty." We've heard the saying, of course, a lot, and, and I've even told people, you need to do your duty. You need to do your duty to God. You need to do your duty to your country, to your family, to uh, your, your conscience, whatever that might be. Um, and Jesus, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5 through 7, says, do what is not your duty. So I'll let you think about that for just a moment. But I want us to begin with this great passage in Isaiah chapter 6. You're probably very familiar with it. Isaiah 6 is where it begins with Isaiah saying it records his call to ministry in Isaiah 6, but it begins with him saying, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, surrounded by all these angels with all this thunder and lightning and storm and uh, everything that you would expect if you're thinking about the glory of God and the glorious scene of the throne room of God. And that's what Isaiah gets a little picture of. And of course, he's afraid. He thinks he's dead because he's seen the Lord. And, uh, and, and the angel gets the tongs from the fire and uh, takes a coal from the fire and, uh, by the altar 
and touches his mouth with them. Isaiah had said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And that's what they would say if they were lepers, unclean, unclean. They were according to the law. They were to cover their mouths and shout out unclean, unclean before anyone got too close. Uh, well, for Isaiah, that's how he felt about himself, seeing the holy God on the throne, having this vision. Isaiah says, I'm a leper, and I live among lepers. I'm going to die because I've seen the holy Lord, seen the holy God. And the angel takes those, uh, that, uh, those coals and touches them to his lips and brings about uh, his healing and forgiveness. And then, as you know, um, the Lord says, uh, who, who will go for us? Who, will send, who can we send with this great message? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. We've got some songs about that. And, um, and, and obviously, Isaiah didn't have to do that. I mean, God could have sent somebody else, could have found somebody else. But for Isaiah, there was no question that he was going. When God said, who can we send? Uh, Isaiah volunteered. He volunteered. He said, hey, I'll go. Here am I. Send me. Uh, and God warned him and said, hey, this is not going to be an easy task. And you're going to be met with a lot of opposition. And Isaiah says, I'm going. And boy, aren't we glad that he did. Well, thinking about Isaiah responding to that uh, call, now we turn to the New Testament, to Matthew 5 through 7, and that's where uh, we read the words of Jesus. And you're very familiar with them. Uh, you know, he starts out with the Beatitudes, as we know, and he goes on and talks a little bit about uh, what, is, what his kingdom is and isn't. But then in a lot of uh, that part, he speaks about how we should act and live towards each other. You know, the golden rule is found in the Sermon on the Mount, also in Luke, but in Matthew 7, uh, verse 12, uh, to do uh, the way you want to be treated by others, that's how you should treat them. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, um, and Jesus says that in this Sermon on the Mount, but he also says before then in Matthew 5, he talks about how we treat those um, that oppose us. And it's a very familiar passage. People have ragged on it. They have also glorified it. But it's where Jesus says, look, if someone, if a, particularly in that culture, a Roman soldier, one of the uh, oppressors, if he were to uh, ask a Jewish man to carry his pack for him, uh, then he, he would have to do that, but only for one mile. And so from what I understand, the Jews had a, a one mile marker all around their house so that they would know how far they have to go and then they can drop that pack and say, see ya and go back home. Well, Jesus turns that uh, on its head and he says, if someone asks you, makes you carry their pack for one mile, then go another mile. Go the second mile. He also says, if someone wants your shirt, let's say, and, uh, and they ask uh, for that, then give them your shirt, but also give them your sweater too. Not something that is your duty, not something you have to do. Uh, and then he says this in verse 39, and this one's the one that you probably think about. Um, uh, Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. Turn the other cheek. 
And Oswald Chambers has some great comments about this. And this is where he gets that idea of uh, don't do your duty, do what is not your duty. In other words, do more than what is asked of you. Do more than what is required of you. That is truly the difference between the, um, the old law and the new law between justification by law-keeping and justification by grace. Justification by law-keeping says you do what is required and, and then you're home free. Justification by grace says you can never deserve uh, your salvation. It's by grace. God, it's a gift because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So because it is a gift, now you, you show your gratitude in response. And, and that's where we say, do what is not your duty. You're so grateful. You're so appreciative. So surprised and shocked, actually, that God would give his own son to bring about your forgiveness, to bring about my forgiveness. That when God says, well, here, here's what is required of you. Do this much. And then we say, okay, I'll do that much. But I, if it's okay, I'd like to do more. Someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek as well. Chambers writes, this verse reveals the humiliation of being a Christian. You know, in our, in our country, in America, certainly here in Texas, good old independent-minded Texas, and I love it. I love where I live. It's my home state where I was born. I'm a native Texan and uh, am so proud to uh, be living here still. Um, and, uh, but, you know, we... Uh, we, we don't go for that kind of humiliation. Our impulse is to, is to hit back. Our impulse is to vindicate ourselves. Our impulse is to fight physically. Our impulse is to avoid humiliation. But this is the humiliation of being a Christian. In the natural realm, if a person does not hit back, they're considered a coward. But in the spiritual realm, it is the very evidence of the Son of God in them if they do not strike back. That, that doesn't sit very well with you, does it? When you're insulted, you must not only not resent it, but you must make it an opportunity to exhibit the Son of God in your life. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans 12, as you know. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You say, well, Bill, that, I don't think that's going to work. And if it will work, it's going to take a long, long time. And, I, and my response is, well, you're probably right. You're probably right. You think about the followers of Jesus and the disciples of Jesus Christ in the first century. The church is what we call that. What we're still members of today, 2,000 years later almost. And you think of all the things that they suffered and all the, the amazing things that, um, that they did in spite of that suffering. But in reality, you have to remember that, you know, Jesus, let's say he died on the cross around AD 30. I know it could be AD 29 or AD 33 or whatever, but somewhere around AD 30 or 30 CE in the common era, however you choose that. And, um, and yet it was another 300 or so years before Christianity was no longer an intense persecuted bunch 
not until the days of Constantine in the fourth century did um, did the Roman Empire say, you know, I, I think we're going to stop doing this. I think we're going to stop doing this. Hundreds of years, longer than our country has been a country. Could you suffer humiliation for that long? Could you turn the other cheek for that long? And that's what those disciples did. And in doing so, they took down the Roman Empire. But it took a long time. Do we have enough faith and enough trust in God to be willing to do that? To do what is not our duty and to do what is not our natural impulse? Chambers writes, the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is not do your duty, but is, in effect, do what is not your duty. It is not your duty to go the second mile or to turn the other cheek, but Jesus said that if we are his disciples, we will always do these things. Well, that's a tall order, isn't it? It's a very tall order. But that's the difference between how the carnal man sees things and how Jesus saw things. They taunted him when he was on the cross. Come down from there and we'll believe you. Send, tell your father to send all those legions of angels and we'll believe you. And he could have done that. And he would have won the argument that day and he would have vindicated himself and he would have avoided all that humiliation. But he also would have avoided being the sacrifice to save us. And so Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay. He didn't have to do that. He had every right to come down from that cross and to <laughs> zap all of those people that were accusing him and crucifying him and humiliating him. But he didn't insist on his own rights. Every time I insist on having my own rights, I hurt the Son of God. While, in fact, I can prevent Jesus from being hurt if I will take the blow myself. Comments from Chambers. It's kind of interesting how he puts that. A disciple realizes that it is his honor or her honor to do this. It is the Lord's honor that is at stake in our lives, not our own honor. We gladly humble ourselves, just as Jesus did. And he wasn't kidding when he said, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to, what, demand your rights? Make sure nobody takes advantage of you? If you're going to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Follow Jesus into that same oppression, into that same humiliation, into that same unjust treatment. Well, sometimes, yeah, not all the time, sometimes. Are we willing to do what is not our duty, to go the second mile? to give more than is asked of us, to turn the other cheek. We're always looking for justice, yet the essence of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is don't look for justice, but never cease to give it. We are to act with justice. We are to act justly and fairly with each other. Act justly, Micah says in Micah 6 verse 8. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. That's what God requires of us, he said. And that's how we're to live. But if we don't receive that same treatment in return, how will we respond? That's the question. 
Paul was overwhelmed with his sense of indebtedness to Jesus Christ. It was a debt he couldn't pay. You know, you love that song, don't you? He paid the debt. He did not owe. I owe a debt. I could not pay. Love that song. And there's a lot of truth in that song. And it's hard truth. It's hard truth. It's the sacrifice of Christ for us. Going far beyond his duty. He didn't have to do that. He did it because he loved us. Scripture says. God had him do it because he loved us. Scripture says. And so now, what does that mean to us? Do we feel that sense of of gratitude to Jesus so much that we will be do be willing to do more than what is our quote duty to do what is not our duty to do the second mile stuff the turning the other cheek stuff um, every tiny bit of my life that has value I owe to the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ does that change anything does that change how I look at others does it change how I look at God, how I look at his church, how I look at his word? Will it allow me to acknowledge that as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I, I was bought with a price. Therefore, I should glorify and honor God with my body, with my life. My life should be a living sacrifice, Paul told the Romans in Romans 12. Uh, we gladly do what Jesus called upon us to do. Why? Because we realize that he did it for us first. And so Jesus goes on in that Sermon on the Mount and in Matthew chapter 7 says, you know, ask and it'll be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open to you. And so if we have that eagerness to ask him to seek his will, to knock, he'll respond. He'll respond. Um, that great statement in the book of James, if anyone asks, lacks wisdom, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask of God, and he'll be glad to give it. But that is in the context of per being persecuted. That's in the context of being treated with injustice and unjustly and, and not, not understanding how we can do this and why this should be happening. And James says, well, you know, you need to seek and ask and not. And God will be there for you. We may not ever understand it. My series on Job is bringing that out. I have one more sermon that I'll share in that series. And, and, um, and James even brings up Job at the end of his book and says, Hey, consider Job. He, was, he persevered through all the things he suffered. Yeah, he struggled with it. He fought about it. He questioned God about it. He vented. And that's all okay. It's all okay. But, it, but he never let go of God. When he was venting, he was praying. He was praying to God. How come this is all going on? And that's okay. That's okay. But we hold on to God in the process. And Jesus assures us that if we ask, we'll receive. If we seek, we'll find. If we knock, it will be open for us. And I think, as Chambers says, what this tells us is that God knows everything. He knows all about our needs. He knows all about our wants. He knows what we're going to pray before we ever pray it. And when we're experiencing those difficulties, it, it would probably be a good reminder for us to remember these words of Jesus and remind ourselves, you know, 
Jesus knows about this. He sees this. He's aware of it. How he chooses to respond is on him, not me. And I'll trust him. I'll trust him whatever he decides to do. I may not understand it. I may not like it. And I may very well tell him. <laughs> and that's okay. But I'm going to continue to hold on to him. And what's more, I'm going to continue to be his disciple, his follower. I'm going to seek to live the way he wants me to live. And that's taking up my cross, denying myself, and following him. Prayer is not only asking, but it is an attitude of the mind which produces the atmosphere in which asking is perfectly natural. The passage in 1 Thessalonians 5 where Paul says, pray constantly, the traditional translation, pray without ceasing. And it doesn't mean there's always a prayer coming from our mouths in a literal way, but it means what Chambers says here is that we live in an atmosphere of prayer. We can go to God at any moment in prayer because we rest in perfect confidence in Him. And we know that He has um, the knowledge of everything that's going on in our lives and more. And still He loves us. And still the blood of Jesus forgives us. And so when it comes time for God to say, who will I send? Who will go for us? Then it's our turn to raise our hand. Here am I. Send me. When God is calling us and we read in scripture and we read those verses and we say, wow, that's a, there's a lot, lot required of a Christian there. Our response is to think about how much Jesus did for us, how much he gave to us and for us. And we too commit our lives to not doing our duty, but to doing that and more. I hope today you'll recommit yourself to doing what is not your duty. Going that second mile. Turning that cheek. Offering the help it's not even asked for or expected. And the reason we do that is because that's what Jesus did for us. May our Lord help us all to do what is not our duty. I'll see you on Thursday.